resurrection so so important to us? Have you ever thought about that? Why why is this event so incredibly important? Well, it validates everything that Jesus ever said, did, and promised. And so everything that he said to his disciples, everything he said to us, ultimately, everything he did, and all of the promises that he makes, that the resurrection validates it. If we only have the crucifixion and we, you know, we, we celebrate and remember uh, the death of Jesus on Good Friday, the cross, and everything that we went through, if we only just thought of the crucifixion, that would make the story incomplete. It would actually have labeled Jesus a lunatic and a madman because of the bold claims that he made. C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus when he was Turkey, you know, so a lot of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, you know, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and at one time he was an unbeliever, he didn't believe in Christ, and, and he began to search out this whole thing of faith in Christianity, and he was trying to do, do it, you know, justice and not just have a, an emotional opinion about it, but he, he did a thorough research, and based on the claims of Christ, he became a believer. Because he said this, and he said either Christ is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. In other words, he, it's the biggest lie, the biggest scam ever done in history, or he's a madman, or he is who he said he is, and C.S. Lewis landed on the side of saying, I believe he is Lord, he is who he said he is. And so if you just have the crucifixion, it would be incomplete because of the claims he made why he came and what he would accomplish. You know, people all, all throughout history, people have, people make bold claims. I mean, people make bold claims now. You can, you can say that you're the greatest or the best or, you know, even in the sports field or even music and you can make the claim, I am the best or you have the best team or I am the best this, but something has to be validated you, you, to, to validate those claims. Something, something has to happen. You can't just make a claim. And for my associate pastors, it's like the Tar Heels. I knew that they were going to love this. Uh, I'm a UNC fan, and they won the national championship, just in case you were wondering. Most people in Minnesota care, and they couldn't care less about who won the national championship. But the Carolina Tar Heels did. Nobody cares. But today, if you go on the Easter Sunday, if you look in the sky, you see what color it is. Carolina blue. Oh, that's enough about that. You know, at the beginning of the season, they could have said we were the best team and then not won anything and stuff. You have to have something that validates the claim. And so people throughout history have made incredible claims, but there was nothing that validated. Even religious people throughout history, different religions claiming to be God, people who have claimed to be God or Messiah or the Phantom or the one who is to come, just a couple of stories. These are, these are three of a multitude of people who have made these claims. There was a man named Arnold, Arnold Potter who lived in the 1800s. He claimed that the Spirit of Jesus entered into his body and he became Potter Christ. Here's the sad thing. Okay, now we, we all kind of maybe giggle or whatever. This guy had a large following. The people that make these claims, the troubling thing is not they themselves, but it's people who follow, right? 
And so he was so convinced that he was Potter Christ, Son of the Living God, that in an attempt to ascend to heaven in front of his followers, he said, I'm going to ascend, and he jumped off a cliff and fell to his death. Sad. Sad story. But he was convinced of it. There was a man named Samuel on wheel. He was a Gnostic. He blended religions, including Christianity. He was a universalist. Many, many uh, roads lead to heaven, and all religions are intertwined. He had some pretty dramatic things happen in his life, some miraculous things, and that he claimed that he would, that he would die and be resurrected before 1978. Years before his death, he declared he would adopt the use of a duly prepared ancient Egyptian mummy as a vehicle for, for, for further work until he going to be temporary. So many of his followers expected him to return publicly after his death, and they waited. And according to his own statements, he planned to remain incognito for a certain time. His followers are still waiting. He died in 1977. They're still waiting. There's a guy named Cyrus Steve. He was an electric physician, and he mixed the idea of science and religion. He claimed that he was a religious leader and Messiah. He claimed he got divine inspiration because one time he was doing an experiment that went badly. He was shocked. He passed out. And during his period of unconsciousness, he believed he was visited by a divine spirit who told him he was the Messiah. What does Paul tell us? Just because someone says something, even if it's an angel who preaches a different gospel, it's not true. Inspired, once he awoke, he vowed to apply his scientific knowledge with religion, and he was supposed to redeem humanity. He changed his first name to Koreth. Remember David Koreth? And one of Pete's fundamental principles involved the gathering of his most devoted followers in communal living groups, and he had a large following. In 1904, he was involved in an altercation. He was severely beaten, suffering injury from which he never recovered. He died on December 27, 1908. His followers initially expected his resurrection. They did a visual around his body. They waited. They said that he had predicted it in his book. This was going to happen. But after several days of decay, the county health officer stepped in and took him away. Bold claims. No validation. Buddha did not rise from the dead. The Prophet Muhammad did not rise from the dead. Other religious figures, other religious people that made bold claims about who they were and their followers followed, they did not rise from the dead. Jesus would have just been another religious leader that made outrageous claims if he had not done something to validate those claims. What were some of the claims? He claimed he was the Messiah, right? He claimed that he came to rescue us from death, from sin. He claimed to be God in the flesh. And then to prove these and other claims, he also made the claim that he would rise in three days, that he would be killed, and he would be risen from the dead in three days to validate those claims of who he was. So I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture that Paul in 1 Corinthians writes. It's kind of a very factual account. I want you to take a look at it with me. It's going to be up on your screen. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this. He said, Now, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it in, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. 
Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. So he's saying there was a claim. He did that. He was seen by or he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And isn't it interesting that Paul gives us this factual account? He didn't say, we thought we saw him, but we dreamt about him, we felt like we saw him. They said he was alive. This is a factual account. There were over 500 people that saw him after he was risen from the dead. And so he's proclaiming this. And that was why Paul and the other apostles, they would put their very lives on the line to proclaim because they had seen him. It's the good news. Christ died for our sins. We can't save ourselves. Just as the scripture said, he was there and he was raised on the third day. Just as the scripture said, so he could be able to claim, and now there's a validation to that claim. He validated it. He was actually, literally seen. He goes on to verify Christ's resurrection and our resurrection of the dead, and why, again, that's essential as why, why it's important to us. Look at verse 12. He says, But tell me this. So he's given the he's given the proof of the claim and the validation. He said, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. He says that if there is not a validation of the claim, we're wasting our time. We just ought to find something else to do. It's a waste of time, it's a lie, and it's useless. And he even goes on to say, and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. And so he's saying it would have been a, a big ruse, it would have been a big lie, it would have been useless. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died, believing Christ will walk. And if our hope is in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So it's, it's not true. And all we have is this life. Paul is saying we are to be pitied. But, don't you like that word? He's given the case. One of my favorite pastors of all time when I was a teenager, he's with the Lord now. This is just such a funny story. Um, of course, all the youth group, we sat together on several rows, you know, and uh, any little thing would set you off and you start laughing. Anybody laugh in church and get the giggle? It happens. If you do, that's fine. Um, not today, though. No, I'm um, And so, this is Pastor Walter P. Atkins. And he had a very different voice. And that's the way he preached. And I mean, you're hanging on everything. You would want this guy to read you bedtime story. And he just had the greatest preaching voice. And he was very articulate. And he 
didn't mess up words, you know, like you'll hear me stammer every once in a while, please forgive me for that, but maybe it keeps you awake. But he just didn't do that. And so whenever there was a little faux pas, you know, you were just like waiting for it. And one time he was preaching on serving the Lord and, and, and being a part of the body of Christ and that we should all be a part. And he says, when we make excuses, we make excuses, actually, we make excuses for why we don't do what God is calling us to do. I will serve in this area, but I will do this, but I will do it. And he's starting you know, listing all these things, but he said, I'm here to tell you God's got a great but too. And the youth group lost it. I mean, we are like down, giggling, laughing, it was over. I mean, it was, it was like, okay, service over, let's all leave. Um, how do you recover from that? Walter P. did. He could, he could recover from those kind of things, but he never caught it. It was one of the funniest stories ever. I don't know why I said that. But, in fact, look at Scripture. Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul says, we are to be pitied and we be useless, but he has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. It is true. We serve a living Savior who is very much alive right now. He has gone to prepare a place for us. He's sent the Holy Spirit so we are not alone. And we get to be with Him forever. He makes those promises to us. He is very much alive. So it's all true based on that the event of the resurrection of Jesus. He is who He said He is. He is Messiah. He's Savior of the world. He's our eternal hope that we will repent of our sins and put our life into His hands. That's us suffering God, being God of our own lives, and put our faith and our hope and our trust in Him. Now, I want to look at something that's interesting that Carrie came up to me this morning and he whispered and He said, I think I have something about Thomas in the resurrection story. I just looked at him and I said, that's my text today. And we didn't talk about this before, but maybe God wants to say something, but there's something about the story of Thomas the disciple Thomas, who was a follower of Jesus. He, he's a guy that, you know, he had he struggled with some doubts. And we're going to look at his story and why his story, I believe, is important to us. What do we call him? What, what's his name? Doubting Thomas. Everybody knows that, right? I think we're going to get to heaven. He's like, come on, guys. Can I have a better nickname than that? For all of history, I'm known as Doubting Thomas. Thank you. Like, well, you're the one that doubted. Why did he doubt? And I want you to understand something. Why did he doubt? Was he, he had seen what Jesus went through. You know, he saw the arrest, although that they scattered, they, they saw what happened. They saw, they saw him beaten up by the guards to a punched in the face and mocked and ridiculed. They, they've seen some of the obvious physical things that when you're hit and probably swelling of the eyes when it's consistent with fucking the face and the head and they beat him and then they scourged him they put a crown of thorns on his head and all these physical things and, you know, and, and the scourging was something unbelievable that he, that, that he endured for us he, the scourging almost killed him and then if that was not enough, he took him and nailed him to a cross, which is a torturous way to die. The Romans were, had perfected, uh, the, 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 the crucifixion was, was absolutely horrible to where you are begging to die. 
And I think that that's probably the big reason that, that Thomas doubted. He said, did, did you guys see what I saw? Nobody gets up from that. Nobody, nobody just overcomes that. that he was, he was marked beyond recognition. And, and again, he wasn't there when, he, when, they, when, they, when, they, when Jesus first appeared. And so he was struggling. Maybe you guys saw the wrong thing. Maybe you wanted to so bad. But I don't know if it really happened. I had a hard time believing it. How do you come back to life from that? I love Thomas. He's very real. He's also the one, remember in John 14, where Jesus is on the way to truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he said, you know the place I'm going? And it's Thomas that says, we don't know where you're going. We don't even know how to get there. And he was a little bit like Peter where they would blurt out things, but I think there was just some honesty in the heart, which I, I, I think it's refreshing to me to read about Thomas. Because guys, having faith is not the absence of God's doubts in Christ. But it's persevering through that to believe who Jesus is. Let's look at this passage. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish believers. There's a word. What's the word? Suddenly. I love that word, suddenly. If you remember, if you rewind a little bit, remember when he's, Jesus is telling you to take heart, don't let your hearts be troubled? We have a tendency to have trouble hard depending on what we're going through. He says this to them. He says, he says, you're going to be sorrowful, but suddenly, your joy, you will have joy again. And here we have the suddenly. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, said. And he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine what they're seeing? They had seen him tortured. They had seen him crucified. Here he is, and he has the scars to prove the price that he paid for us. It is finished. Paid in full for us. sins are paid for. And they see the scars, but they see him risen, and he's literally actually there. That would be a good meeting. Right? Your sorrow will suddenly be turned to joy. That's like salvation. I mean, the greatest thing in my life is when I made the decision to completely surrender my life to Jesus Christ greatest thing ever. I grew up, I was, we were in church all the time, we were, I, we were very traditional church-going people, some of you guys understand that. You went to church, you did the church stuff, and I remember in my teenage years, I began to get very cynical of it, because you see hypocrisy, you see all the stuff, you see people, right? That's why I say the church is the culture of the broken. Nobody has it all figured out. We're on a journey to find Jesus together. So as a teenager, again, very cynical, and, and, you know, I just was questioning everything, and, and, and it was at 19 years old, I remember that I, I you know, I, I came to that place, it was kind of a crossroads place in my life, that I could have gone my way, or I was going to go the way of Jesus. And here's the thing, all of the stuff, all of the, all the stuff that I grew up with, all the religion, all of the rules, all the regulations, all of the stuff that killed life, and all the legalism that I dealt with, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't go that way, but I knew something, that there was something real about Jesus. 
And I said, Jesus, I know that you're real. And, I, and, and I've seen some misrepresentations about you. I've seen some, some, some mistakes about you. But I want to find the real you. And it's hit me on a quest to say, Lord, I give all of myself to you. The greatest decision I ever made. Zero regrets for making that decision. And that was my suddenly, my suddenly, my life. I'm finding joy and peace and contentment like I've never found before. It wasn't. It didn't set me on a, a, a path of perfection. It set me on a path to walk with the one who loves me and gave himself for me in relationship every day. That was my suddenly. God wants to give you a sudden one today. So the disciples say, suddenly full of joy, because he's alive, just like he said he would be. And what they were saying, this changes everything. We will give our lives for this. And that's why most of them died martyrs that they were tortured and, 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 and you know, severely beaten, severely mistreated and, and martyred for their faith because they said, we, we believe who he said he was because we've seen the risen Lord. This changed everything. This validates his claims. Then let's look at Thomas. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. So we get the word Didymus. He's, uh, he's a twin. Was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, and Carried of this earlier, unless I see, unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them, and place my hand in the wound in his side, I, I can't believe this. I, I saw what happened to him. I like you guys and all, but this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe you thought you saw him. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Jesus shows up again, the doors are locked suddenly. As before, Jesus was standing on the peace be with you, he said. And he goes right over to Thomas. We're going to have a conversation. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands, put your hand in the room of my side. Don't be faithless any longer, believe my Lord and my God, Thomas, and then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who's he talking about? Us. So Thomas had doubts. He had questions. And I understand that. I, I understand having doubts. I understand having questions. I, I, I walk through that. When you're walking through seasons of life that don't make much sense, when you're praying prayers that feel like they hit the ceiling and they bounce back in your head, and maybe prayers are not answered the way you thought they were, the circumstances of life, the things that we walk through, and you have some questions and some doubts, God, be encouraged that does not the elimination of your faith, but Overcome it, persevere through it, keep your eyes on Jesus because He is real. That's why if David writes the Psalms, those Psalms that are so heartfelt and more than just these songs, he's, he's crying out to God, why, why have you turned a deaf ear to Are you going to abandon me? He's saying that kind of stuff to God. It's really real. And I feel like I'm abandoned. I feel like you've left me alone. But, but I'll trust in, in your unfailing love. But don't get anything else, God. I know that you love me. I understand, Thomas. We have things like in our hearts like Thomas. We doubt. 
Jesus appears and he says, David, this is real, alive. Don't be faithful. And Thomas' response is profound. Don't miss it. What Thomas says to Jesus is profound. Notice he doesn't say, you're alive. You know, he did believe it. He saw him. He didn't say, yay, Jesus. He says something that I think is very meaningful. We, we can miss it, but he says, my Lord and my God. What is he saying there? He's declaring that Jesus is God in the flesh. All of your claims, all of the things you said about yourself, because you're alive, they are true. You're not only Jesus, my friend. You're not only Jesus, my Savior. You are Lord and you are God. You are sovereign over everything and you're the God of the universe. You're standing in front of him. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas reveals who Jesus is. He's Lord and he's God. Notice that Jesus doesn't corrupt him. Jesus doesn't say, no, that's not actually who I am. Thomas is worshiping God. God in the flesh, equally man, equally God. So Thomas' declaration was because Jesus rose from the dead and it proved and validated everything he ever said that he disfavored the world, he's the Messiah, he was coming. And then Jesus says this, you believe me because you've seen me. You got, you, you had, you had full access to be able to touch the scars in my hand. Don't we all sometimes don't we have a question? Jesus, if you would just speak something like out loud, knock on my door, call me on the phone. And we all know if you did it, you'd freak out and pass out. But you know, sometimes we want that like, real validation, right? If you can hear me do something, say something, make something, you know, that's why it's faith. And he said, you know, Thomas, you have full access to me. You, you're, you're blessed because you, you made this declaration, but more blessed to those who will never see me but they'll believe. They'll believe your report. They'll believe your message. They'll believe. And that's why he empowered them to go and begin the church. And he says, you keep proclaiming and proclaiming. And then 2,000 years later, here at the church, believing in Jesus because of their claims and that what they saw and the validation of Jesus. Jesus is who he said he is. Now I want to look very quickly at some of the other claims that Jesus made. In the book of John, he makes seven I am statements about himself. I am, and, and, and you'll be familiar with some of these. But again, these were bold claims in saying I am. The reason why he used the word I am is because he is He's positioning himself to be the God of the Old Testament. Remember um, at the burning bush when Moses is about to, he's being called by God to go deliver the people um, of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery. God meets with him and says, I commission you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so Moses naturally says, well, who should I, who should I tell them they're sending me? I can't tell them a burning bush is sending me. They're going to probably think I'm either. But who are you? It was this bush that was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And he says, tell them this, I am has sent you. I am. I am the ever-present one. I am Yahweh. I am God. I am Jehovah. I am. Present tense, I am the one who is sending you. And he titles himself, I am. And so Jesus, when he's on the earth, in the Gospels, in the book of John, he makes seven, I, I am. 
That's why the Pharisees were so troubled by him. They knew his claims, and so he makes these claims. What does it mean to say, I am? They were exclusive statements that says, He is our sufficiency. He's all we need. He's what the world is looking for. He's what we're looking for. Look at these claims very quickly. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Every soul on planet Earth is spiritually hungry, looking for something to fulfill them. We tend to fulfill ourselves with all the wrong things. And Jesus is the one who will satisfy the hunger of our soul, the hunger of our heart. He's the only one that can fill you. The hunger to be loved, the hunger to be fulfilled, the hunger to be accepted. And when we fill our lives with Jesus, the bread of life, we don't go around looking for all those other things to fill the spiritual hunger. Every other thing that we try to fill ourselves with will only leave us empty. And he said, I am the gate, the door. In other words, he says, I am the entry point to salvation. There are not many roads, there are not many entry points to salvation. I am the gate. You want to get saved? You want to know salvation? You want to know true hope? You want to know true life? It is through me. I'm a door. I'm the gateway to that. There are not many doors. You can't just pick a hundred doors. You might think that you're going. To, you might think that those doors lead you to something, but then you will open up, and it will just be a wall. Doesn't matter what religion or what person makes any kind of claim, it will be a wall. I am the only gate to salvation. The only entry point. There are not many. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Not just any shepherd, he is the good shepherd who lays his life down, who proves his love by laying his life down for his feet. But then this, he says this, I, I can lay my life down, then I can take it back up again. And he did. All other shepherds are false. I am the resurrection and the life. In Jesus only, in Jesus only will we find the life that we were truly meant to live here. He's the only way to have eternal life. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to have eternal life. The resurrection is the only one that can resurrect us to eternal life on that day, even when we die or He returns. That's why He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Although you are dead, you will live forever. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Probably the boldest claim that Jesus ever made. In our culture, be the most narrow-minded thing that Jesus ever said. And so, least inclusive. It was about that. You know, that's not very politically correct. Jesus did not come to be politically correct. He came to reveal Himself as God. And He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." There's only one way. There are not many ways. There's not many roads to heaven. Universalism doesn't exist. It is an idea that is concocted by human reasoning and human thinking. Jesus clears it up and says, I am the way. I prove that I am the way by dying on the cross for you and rising again. I am the truth. There are not many truths. Truth is, truth is not relative to what you think it is or what somebody in culture says it is. We don't make up our own truth. You can't be your own truth. There is one truth. His name is Jesus. He validated by dying on the cross and raising it to life again. And I am the life. Again, he says, I am the life. The bread of life, the resurrection of life, the way, the truth of life. I am the only way to love it. He said it, not me. And then he proved it by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. 
And he says, I am the true vine. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That he longs to be our source of life. That we as branches are connected to the source of life. If you are cut off branch, you are a dying branch. But the branches get their life from the trunk of a tree. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the true source of life. Stay connected to me. Remain in me. Remain in my life. So these bold claims, again, he made these claims if they were just the crucifixion. These claims would have made him a madman. But because he rose from the dead, because we celebrate Easter, he is who he said he is. His I am claims become our he is claims, right? Because if he rose, he is the bread of life. If he rose, he is the light of the world. I didn't touch on that, but the light of the world. He's the only light in our darkness that can find the way to Himself. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection life. He is the way to truth life. He is the true life. And if He is, what does that mean to you and me? What do we do with His claims? Do you belong to Jesus? Is He your Lord and your God like Thomas when we think of what He has done and we are struck in our hearts and we say like Thomas, okay, you are Lord and you are God. Be Lord and God of my life. Have you repented of your sins and put your life completely in His hands? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Because that is the way to salvation in life. Because of Easter, because of the resurrection, we have life. Because of the crucifixion, we have forgiveness of sins. And because of the resurrection, we have eternal life and hope. And when we put our hope and our life and our faith and our trust in Him, our sorrow, our sin, our guilt, our shame will suddenly be turned to joy. Because of Him. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. Every one of us has to do something with these claims. He either is or he isn't. And if he is, what does that mean to me? I just want to pray with you, with you, and for you just for a moment here. If you will bow your heads, and I'm just going to take a moment here. I feel like I need to do this, but if you're here today, what a day to be able to walk out of here saying, I now belong to Jesus. If you're here today and you don't really truly know Him, maybe you've known about Him, maybe you like me, that you grew up and maybe religious home, you've done religious things, you've kind of attended church and done some religious things, but when you search honestly in your heart, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know him. I, I, I haven't really surrendered my life to him, and not the way that you described it. I've really never done that. I've done some religious things, but I've deep in my heart. I, 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 I don't think he is my Lord and my God. Maybe you're like Thomas. You know, Thomas has followed him, but I think in this moment, Thomas made that declaration of saying, I'm, I'm all in now. You're my Lord and my God. And I just want to take a moment to pray for you. If that's you here today, and you should say, you know what, I want to be right with God. I want to turn from my sins. I want to put my hope, my faith, my life in His hands. I want to make Him my Lord and my God today. Will you raise your hand? 
confident and boldly do that. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Anybody else? It's a great day to make that decision, to make that proclamation in our own lives. So I pray for like, a few hands that went up. And again, there's no magic in raising your hand that doesn't trigger anything. It's just a matter of me just identifying you and what the Lord is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. Lord, thank you for the hands that went up and, and thank you for the heart behind those hands, God. It says, I, I want to make things right with God's way. I believe who Jesus is. I believe that He died for me and that He didn't stay dead, but He rose from the dead. And because of that, I can have life. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for each person that came today. God, I pray that the truth of who you are would resonate in our hearts. That we would walk from here every single day and love you, give our hearts to you, walk with you, knowing that you deeply love us and you proved it by dying on the cross, which you validated everything by rising from the dead. Lord, be our life, be our source of life. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. Have a great Resurrection Sunday and a wonderful week.